0: All right. Are you there? I'm talking to you. There's no one else in here. (laughs) It's all a dream. No one's talking. Uh, Good to see you. We're in week three of a series about who we are and where we're going. And if you look on the bulletin, there are four words, and we've just been teaching through those words. They're God, neighbor, city, and world. Uh, The first two weeks are fairly obvious. I mean, we talked about how Uh, To love God is the number one commandment that Christ gives us. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he said. And the second greatest is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we uh, did the first two weeks looking at those two words. And um, today, what's the third word? City. Good. Let's try it again. What's the third word? City. That's good. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, Jeremiah 29. And uh, when pastors talk about church in the city, ministry in the city, uh, this is perhaps... I mean, it's probably, it's probably one of the more famous texts of the Bible that deal with this, and so we'll, uh, we'll use it as well. The other one's probably Jonah. You know, Nineveh, there's a city uh, that uh, Jonah didn't really care much for. And uh, God sent him there, which is what he does. So be, be careful what you hate. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty profound, actually. <laughs> so anyway, uh, not even in the notes. That was free. So um, thank you. Thank you very much, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah um, 29. This is the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, and so the narrative of the book has been going on for a while. And so uh, there'll be, this will be somewhat simplistic of, of a backstory for you, but let me try to bring you up to speed. The year, uh, roughly, this is 600 years before the days of Jesus, and uh, Israel's in a tough spot. They're on edge. Many of them had been taken from Jerusalem some years before uh, into exile into this city called Babylon. Maybe you've heard of it. It's also a great song, by the way. Any David Gray fans? We thought about that, but it was like, eh, it's about a love story. I don't know what that's about. So, But the word Babylon was in there. Uh, Got to be the only song I know but it has the word Babylon in it. But they were taken out of Jerusalem and into Babylon, and they were living as exiles. And so uh, I want to do a quick survey, find out how many exiles we have in the room. Just so you know, the survey we took first hour, it was... It wasn't 100%, but it was close. It was close. Uh, So raise your hand if—and i got to explain this. I don't just do it immediately, although you can if you want. That's fine. There's no rules against that. Uh, If you were not born here, and you ended up here because you were transferred here, your job took you here, your spouse's job brought your family here, uh, or you just drove into town looking for something better, or or you have no idea why you're here. (laughs) So we have some of those too. But raise your hand if you were not born in this town. Okay, got it. So the word exile should hit home uh, for many of you today. I was actually born and raised here, which is somewhat, somewhat rare. Uh, lived for a time in Cincinnati. And when I was in Cincinnati uh, during college, my heart was here. And so uh, it was very difficult for me. And I meant to tell this story first hour. And I just completely ran through it. Uh, but it was very difficult for me as a college student, and even after college, graduated and moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Anybody from Kentucky in the house? Anybody? Thank you. It's good. Uh, we're big in Kentucky, our church. And, uh, but anyway, uh, lived for a time in Cincinnati. I didn't really like Cincinnati because I wasn't a Reds fan, and the city was gross, and the river caught on fire. It was a really strange place. but uh, <laughs> And so my school was there. I spent four years there, and then moved to Louisville right after that. Spent a year working in a church there. And the strange thing about those five years was uh, I, it was my home, but it never felt—I mean, it never felt like home. Because my mind was always here, and, and what what that does to a person—and you'll see this in a moment uh, in the text too—but what that does to t- what it did to me and what it does to most of us is that we never put roots down. There's never a consistency feel. There's never a feel of permanence or residence. And uh, and when it comes to doing what God has called us to do, which is to love him and love neighbor, it makes it infinitely more difficult to do that because you have no interest in where you live and you have no interest in the people around you. And so, because your mind is always thinking, well, one day I'll be back, in their case, in Jerusalem. And so they're living as exiles in this city of Babylon. And what you need to know is when they went to, when they arrived in Babylon, what they found, uh, well, they found themselves in this very diverse, big, fragmented city, And it was a place of congestion um, and no real sense or consensus of thought, of faith, sexuality, power, money. There was no consensus of how those things should be viewed or even used. And the city of Babylon was also full of other exiles. And so just like our own city and every city around the world, it's full of people who aren't from there. And it's functioning with people who aren't native to it, right? And so Israel finds themselves in this fragmented, diverse, big town, and it's not their hometown, and it's full of other exiles. So the feeling and the vibe of the city was very, you know, again, there's no permanence to it, and it makes it difficult to settle down. And cities have always been that way. they are always places of diversity on every level, and they're often an ever-changing and revolving door of people. Uh, who often will say in one form or another, I'm only here for my job, and hopefully I'll get out. Because it's better back home, right? So they were exiles, which meant, and these are just some basic definitions, they were living like they didn't belong, because they didn't think they belonged. And they carried with them a great disdain for Babylon, almost a hatred for the city that they were in. And they lived and worked with no sense, again, of residence or permanence, because... In the back of their minds, they would get home one day. That would be their hope. They would go back to Jerusalem. They would get out of there. And so they were were functioning as members of society for sure. And in fact, one of the most famous exiles was Daniel. Anybody heard of Daniel? And Daniel was even given a a Babylonian name. I mean, he had made his way in that culture, worked his way up in the job market. So it wasn't as though people couldn't get jobs or have homes or raise their children. It's just that many of them didn't want to. They would rather just be somewhere else. And so they were disengaged with the people of Babylon, the struggles of Babylon, the successes of Babylon, because all they could imagine was life somewhere else. So if things went well for Babylon, they would say, well, it's not as good as Jerusalem. So I'm in Cincinnati, and we go to a Reds game, and I'm like, well, it's not the Braves, which was true, right? Because that was like 1991 to 95, and come on, that was the year, right? Sid Bream, who knew he could run? I mean, really? So that's going way back, sorry. I don't know what he's doing now. I mean, <laughs> fries with that. But, uh, but dude, he got us there. So, uh, And if something went bad for Babylon, they would say, see, I told you. This place is horrible. It deserves it. Never had it right. And so the question for the Israelites in this time, and again, this is all backstory before we read it, was how are we supposed to respond? And what is God's answer to us as exiles who are living in a foreign and a hostile city, and we don't want to be here. We'd much rather be back in Jerusalem where there was familiarity of faith, of family, of worship, of everything, right? So, what, is, what would God say to us? So, Jeremiah is their prophet, and the prophets were simply the voice of God among the people of Israel. Sometimes, very few times, but sometimes the prophet's role was to speak to other sort of neighboring cities or nations, like in the case of Jonah, where they sent, God sent him to Nineveh, sort of a foreign city. But most of the time, the prophets were God's voice among the people. And they would speak to the people of Israel uh, about relevant topics in those moments, right? And in this case, it's, they're living as exiles. And what God notices is—and again, this is sort of a big picture view before we read the text— God is noticing all of this about Israel, saying they're just wandering in a culture, and in this case, in in Babylon. (laughs) You just got to go with it. All right. I've just learned. Uh, So here's the story. Jeremiah is writing letters to the exiles, And most of chapter 29 is the text from one of the letters. Look at verse 1. Here it is. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is in the good seat here. He's in Jerusalem, at least in their mind. To the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's the setting. Jeremiah is sending a letter to the people that, have, that are living in ex, as exiles in a foreign city. Now, verses two and three are just sort of an elongated version of who's taking the letter to be read. And in verse four, the letter—this is what it says: it "says This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon." So, there's a hint here of God saying to them, "Look, you're there for a reason. I, in fact, I, I, I allowed you to be taken there, right?" Verse 5. Now this is the advice God gives them amidst all their angst, all their sort of Jerusalem elitism, all all of their sort of frustration with where they live. This is the advice God gives them, and it was completely unforeseen. He says in verse 5, build houses and settle down, right? Stop renting. Stop being a temporary, he says. Stop living as though you'll be gone. Build a house and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, the Hebrew people were known as the people of the land. The land was what God had given them. Very important to them. They're very connected to the land. And so to eat from the land is to really make a statement about how you feel about the land. So build houses. Develop a sense of permanence, of residence. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Right? It's sort of this lesson to the people that wherever you are, I'm there. There's no wicked city. I'm there. So be there. Verse 6, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. I mean, it's very simple. Raise your family. Don't hold off on that. I mean, like, maybe they're having conversations. Maybe he knew this. Like, one day we'll have kids when we get out of here to a better place, a safer place, where they can ride their bikes on the streets and not get hit. God says, no, 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 just go for it. Establish your family there. And then he says it this way, increase in number there. Don't don't decrease. I mean, for decades in America, churches have fled the cities. And God's saying, that's that's not what we need. Increase there. Don't decrease. Verse 7, and this is sort of the kick in the gut. Also, seek the what? peace of the city and the prosperity of the city. Those two words mean the same thing. The word is the word shalom. Say the word shalom. Shalom. Shalom is not the absence of conflict or an inner peace. But it is simply this, the flourishing in every dimension. So it's not just the peace of each individual heart or the peace that God gives or the peace that comes with a relationship with God. But it's also, in this setting, the economic and the social and the relational peace of the city. God's telling them to seek that, seek that pursue that, run for that. But again, not what they wanted to hear. Pray. Here it is, the one, two. Pray to the Lord for it. What's it? Babylon. Because, this is so simple, if it prospers, you will prosper. Saying two things. You may have a role in how well the city does, but it's also saying that you are a part of that city. And so whatever happens to it will happen to you, whether directly or indirectly. When Marta started cutting uh, routes, Jessica, who's new with us on staff, said, is that going to put more cars on the street? I said, probably not, because many of those people don't have cars. So to put people on the streets, because they won't be able to get to their work, it affects, we point point to this is Marta just the way it goes. It's horrible. But to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city is to not think that way. It's to think, oh, that's going to have effects on the peace of people. And we see a direct effect here in the shop or the office when we get phone calls, people needing assistance, people needing bills paid, people needing transportation. And many times it's directly connected to what's going on in the city. And especially with the economy the way it is, There's a constant influx of needs. And God tells them and us, if we're sort of reading our own story into this, don't leave. Establish a sense of permanence and residence. This has great implications for our church. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons, etc. So don't be afraid to let your kids grow up there. Establish your family rhythms there. Increase there. Don't decrease. But more than anything, seek the peace, the shalom, the prosperity of your city. And pray for it, for if it prospers, you will prosper too. Now, here's why this is so interesting. If you look down in verse 10, in a moment we'll read it. In, verse, in chapter 28, there were these prophets, or these sort of people posing as prophets in Babylon, and they were speaking in the name of God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they were telling the exiles, oh, in two years you'll get to go home. So they had all this hope build up, like, well, we can't put roots down now. It's just going to be two years. I'm only here for a two-year gig, and then I get to go back to Jerusalem. So God lets the cat out of the bag. Oftentimes he would do this through a prophet and give them a little bit of a foresight into the future. But this one's pretty clear. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, now if you're hearing that, you're dead and gone. So this has no no implications for you personally, correct? So maybe the three-year-old that got to hear this in Babylon is thinking, sweet, when I'm 73, I can go home. Where is home when you're three, right? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, essentially, then you can go back, if you, if you choose. So, what does all this mean? The outline is built right in. Now let's think about it in Israel's terms, or on their terms. The first thing God instructs them to do is to engage with the city. And this is what he means by, look, build your homes there, eat from what the ground produces Raise your kids there. Send them to the schools. Whatever it Engage with the city. Don't disengage because this was their tendency. They were just not engaged. So engage with the city. The second thing he tells them is to respond to the needs of the city. I mean, this is where we find at least part 1 of 7 or part A of 7, verse 7. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. So this is like this demeanor of listening and responding to the needs of the city. So he's instructing Israel, look, your role there is not just to bide your time until you can be in some place better, but it is to engage with the city and to respond to the needs around you, right? And the second thing he, or the third thing he tells them to do, again, the outline's built right in, pray for it. In other words, seek God on how you do all those things that were just mentioned, or seek what God might be imagining for your neighborhood or your building or your church. And it's hard to hate something that you're praying for, is it not? Let me just give you the solution to the person you don't like. Begin praying for them. It's just really hard to pray on behalf and for someone that you don't like without eventually either abandoning the prayer or growing to love the person or to see the person as God sees them. And so when he says pray for Babylon, what is God doing? He's reworking their hearts, saying, look, he knows. I mean, if you start praying as a family, sitting down every night in Babylon saying, okay, let's let's pray for the corrupt leader. What's his name? And you begin to pray for him. What happens to your heart? It's frustrating what happens to your heart. And so God says, look, engage with it. Respond to it pray for it learn to love it learn to be connected to it so i think about our own church and uh, i didn't plant this church in fact i avoided even working here uh, and then i came which i love now but the first time i was asked and uh, we were talking about this just yesterday at our men's breakfast we had the founding pastor come and share at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. He said, Derek, tell me what you told me the day, like I went to the, you know, this church started in an old strip club and I was there the weekend it started, not the Sunday I started because I had a job at a church, but I was up there as they were wrapping up the last minute sort of things for the church to have a service, which meant in an old strip club, hiding a lot of things. And, um, you know, making, don't go over there <laughs> or behind there. And so um, we still have gold bucks, by the way, in the office if you're interested uh, that we found there. Just a stack of them. I don't know what those were for, but anyway. I remember being in that building, and I was standing there with founding pastor, and he says, what do you think? And I said to him, and I quote, I could never, I could never work here. So God, you know, whatever. God took note and said, okay, you'll be there in three years. But... Um, um, why in the world did I just tell that? You wouldn't know why I told that story. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about our own church and our own, and I was speaking to the the founding pastor yesterday after breakfast, and just the heart that was behind putting a church here, which is in a very interesting part of the city in, in Atlanta, is a very complicated collection of communities. And to have a church not just survive, but to do well, in our, the odds are against any church in the city. Statistically and historically, they don't, they don't make it. They don't last. There might still be buildings, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult story to maintain. And church in a city environment, no matter what city it is, is complicated for three big, big reasons. And there are many more, but I just wanted to hit three and talk about us along the way. Number one is that cities are very transitional and fragmented. They're full of exiles. You raised your, they're full of people who are just here, maybe for a time, maybe hopefully just for a time. And so they're full of people who are afraid to put roots down, and there's really little consistency to relationships and society. I would say, I've been here three years, and this is, confer- this is basically confirmed by people who have been here longer than me, but it's like I, I, would, I would bet that we have almost shed our skin in people as a church one full time in the last five years. Because that's just the way it is. I mean, there are some of you that are like, I've been here since day one, but you are so in the minority. People come and they go. And that will continue to happen. Uh, I was telling some friends who, who live and work in churches in more consistent areas, and I just said, you have to grow on the double just to stay the same. I had heard that, but I didn't understand that or believe that. But it, it really feels to be true. And the struggle with a culture that's very transitional, again, is roots and consistency. They're just, people either either just don't do it because they've had to do it so many times that they just don't want to do it anymore. They've seen enough people come and go in their lives that they just disconnect altogether. And so the consistency factor is very difficult. And cities, not just ours, but every city is full of church buildings that are empty because they lost the fight with the transitory reality of urban culture. It's just a difficult thing. Secondly, the logistics are just complicated. Now, uh, if we ever do anything here during the week on a weeknight, you have no idea how logistically difficult. We, uh, back in the day, now they like us now, but the restaurant next door, uh, we had to barter, beg, sell our children, whatever we had to do to just reserve a space for your car. And maybe you hear back in the day when they were just booting every car. <laughs> like we would, I don't know where they got all this. They just came out of the woods and just started putting stuff on the wheels. But we would just have a prayer meeting and it's like, well, four cars got booted. You know, it was very difficult. And if we, people call and say, can we use your building for a wedding? Just something as simple as a wedding. It's not just about what are we gonna do on the stage? It's how are we gonna get everybody in the building in a parking space or how, et cetera. It's just a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing. You think it's difficult here, our friends at uh, Buckhead Church around the corner are parking thousands of people, and it's a nightmare. We were downtown in Savannah for a meeting months ago, and uh, Savannah Christian Church has a campus downtown. And if you've ever been to downtown Savannah, it's just completely on a grid, and there's hardly any parking. And they have thousands of people coming to that site. And it was amazing to walk around downtown. He would say, we use that deck, we sneak into that deck, and cars can get over there. And we begged them to let us use this. I mean, it's incredible. The logistics are just harder. We had a meeting in here last Thursday. I'm on a network that puts plants churches in the state of Georgia. And there were 12 guys in the lobby that are on that network. And no less than three of them were like, this question sounds a lot harsher than it is, but they were like, how do you do it here? Which I don't think is that difficult. but But what they're coming from is an ease of, facility and parking and traffic flow, etc., and, uh, hum- and a very homogenous culture as well. And I said, well, I mean, we've just, we just learn to make it work in however we can. But I also told them, because the question is asked, is it ever going to get any easier? And my answer is always, absolutely not. It will get harder and harder to be a church for us. We have no dreams of getting out and making it any easier and so the struggle with something like logistic complications or just survival it's just difficult number 3 is diversity and this is actually one of the greatest things about a city and atlanta especially is extraordinarily diverse and this is a good it's a wonderful opportunity for the church my son goes to the city school right behind here in one of the neighborhoods and I'll pick him up on Fridays after school and um, you just go in the lobby and wait. It's amazing. When we live down in McDonough, to get in to get the kid, it's like retinal scan, fingerprint, body scan. I just walk right in here, it's odd. So, anyway, uh, standing in the lobby and the cattle call like, here come the kids, just all run, and you just grab your kid. Again, it's freaky. I'll take this one. But you will hear parents call for their children in Spanish and French and German and Southern and Northern <laughs> and Midwestern. You'll hear it all. And that's a beautiful thing. I have a picture on my desk of my son's Sunday school classroom a couple years ago, and he's one of like three white children. And it's not that the rest are black. It's everything. I mean, we're just missing... I think we're, I think we're just missing uh maybe uh maybe an australian i don 't know, but that 's a beautiful picture of what can be. I was sharing with somebody the other day like uh, the, the thing I like best about cities wherever is the sidewalks. I love sidewalks because and forgive me if this just sounds too whatever. But the sidewalk in a city, it belongs to no one person, but it belongs to everybody. It's a public space, and it is a free forum of opposing views of life. I mean, if you walked at, we walked to Chick-fil-A every day for lunch. Why wouldn't you, right? And our friends at Corner Bakery, they know it, and we hide the drinks when we come back in because they're like, <laughs> why did you go to Chick-fil-A? Because it's cheaper. Um, and it's Chick-fil-A. I mean, come on. It's the peanut oil and the pickle and the butter. It's just beautiful. Um, anyway. In that four or five block walk, you can hear, you can hear a street preacher, uh, which he actually stands on the corner of Piedmont and Peace street, uh, And you can hear someone who has great hatred for religion. And you can hear businessmen talk about the deals they're making while responding to the homeless guy that's asking for money from them. You can hear prayers... You can hear profanity. You can hear it all. That's, I love that. I don't love everything that's happening on the sidewalk. But I love that this is where we're at. That it's not just one And it makes ministry difficult because it's not just one kind of person. It's everybody. And the struggle with that is to become all things to all people, as Paul said. Now I've said this before and I'll say it again. We don't have a target person in mind here at the church. People say, who's your target Who's your target audience? Well, whoever comes in will be great. I was hoping to get an amen there, but that's okay. (laughs) So if you came in today, you're on the target. It's good. It's a John 3.16 target. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. Whoever. And that's the beauty of a city is that that's what you get. You get whoever. Right? And so we don't have a target in mind except those who call this city their home. And and that means that this place will be complicated because the city is diverse and it comes with many needs. I mean, in this room, there are wealthy people and people struggling and people who run businesses and people who hate their jobs and people who have kids, people who can't have kids, people who are from Cincinnati, people who aren't, people who uh, have different understandings of Scripture and opinions about Jesus and people who love Jesus with all their hearts and it's just a mix of everything. But that's also one of the great opportunities for the church. Now, we've been making statements every week about each word on the list. For the word God, we said, our passion is to see God renew the hearts of people. That's our passion because that's the mission that God is on. And uh, the church would do very well to not worry so much about writing its mission, but getting in the mission that God is on. And God's mission is to renew the hearts of people. And so that's our passion. We're passionate about that, Uh, And which means if we don't hear stories or see stories of God renewing people's hearts, then that's upsetting to us. That's what we want to see. That's our passion. And with the word neighbor, we said this in so many ways last week, but to be a community of love and care, that's, that's what we aspire to be. That's our aspiration as a church, to be a place where love and care of neighbor can happen. And I said, that, I said it last week, I'll say it again, that won't happen if you just church hop. Because you'll never, you'll never go deep enough with people that they can serve you and love you. And, you, and worse, you won't be able to do that for them. So we want to be a place where God's renewing the hearts of people. And we want to be a place where love and care is happening on every level in relationships. But when it comes to the word city, we just kind of see this thing as our vocation, really. Our vocation is to serve the city. I mean, as Jeremiah said it in his letter, to seek the peace of our city. The prosperity of our city. Two, one and the same. The shalom of our city. And so in just using Jeremiah's outline, which again, it's baked right in, some of serving the city is just intentional engagement with the city. And we do that. It's strategic. Like we intentionally seek partnerships with things. As Jamie mentioned before communion, his Father's Ministry to the Homeless, which is now run by his brother, and we partner with them not just in money, but we send people there. And And it's a difficult thing when your church sits in one of the wealthiest zip codes on the East Coast. It's a very difficult thing because the needs aren't apparent, but they are there. And we live in a big city. And so we strategically and intentionally find ways to engage with the oppressed, with the people who are in need. And that is one example, but the examples are many. I mean, uh, Buckhead Christian Ministries, we partner with them. We, we help with Project Open Hand. We help with the Crisis Pregnancy Center downtown. We help with all these different things that we can connect with. And the list is endless. In a, I mean, the minute I say, here's a great homeless mission, some of you who are very connected with the city will come up with 15 more because they're everywhere because that's a very big need. But some of it's just intentional engagement. So when we get up here, I think in the seats today, there's a thing about, look, if you can, bring in some bottled water and granola bars. Why? Because we just put feed bags together for people who come by. Because they come by all the time. And so we just want to be able to help them along the way in such a way as that. And so it's just intentional. Some of it, number two, is simply about responding. And this comes from, again, verse 7, where it says, seek the peace. Seek out ways... That you can respond to the needs of the city, right? Uh, this is about just keeping our ear to the ground, really, and just, okay, well, here's a need. And again, some of these are walk ins, some of these are within the room, and some of these are uh, right around us in businesses and schools and organizations. And uh, we've done that. And some of it is simply praying and imagining what God might have us do. On the bulletin, there's a an ad for uh, a prayer for the city day in late July where we just want to send teams out to pray for the city. We're not praying that things close down or do bad or good. It's not, it's not that. We're not like prayer walking hooters in Midtown or whatever. Uh, I don't think there's one there but I'm just saying. Uh, but it's praying for it, right? Because I'm guaranteeing you when you begin to pray for your neighborhood or the building that you live in or the community that you're a part of, you begin to see it the way God sees it. And so some of this prayer for the city day is simply that, that we just, that we just go out and we surround the schools that are in this area and we pray for them and for the teachers, especially in, this, in these days when um, people are losing their jobs. And it's a very important thing that our kids are educated And it's just praying for the schools and praying for the businesses and praying for those who uh, live in these buildings and, and for the churches as well. So some of it's intentional engagement. Some of it's responsive. Some of it's just creative, you know, just imagining and praying. But all of it is to be a way of life for us as a church. The gist of Jeremiah's words is simply this. Why don't you be the solution to the thing that you hate? You you can come home, none of them, in fact. Your three-year-old will be able to come home when he's 73. So why don't you just settle down, plant yourself in there, raise your kids, and walk around like you will seek the peace of the city, and the whole time pray for it. Augustine, in his book or his writings, The City of God, talks about how there are two cities. It's really a narrative of two cities or a tale of two cities. There's the city of God, and there's the city of man. And he says, when you become a Christian, a follower of Christ, you gain a dual citizenship, not an extracted citizenship somewhere else away from the city, but you have a dual citizenship within the city of man, wherever that is, Atlanta, New York, L.A., Locust Grove, wherever. But you also live within the movement of God's city. Jesus said it this way, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll close with this verse. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is really, in a nutshell, uh, this is the way of God. Jesus is announcing this is what, how you should live, and this is what it looks like to live, as Matthew will say, in the kingdom of heaven, the way of heaven, the reign of heaven. And this is a pretty famous uh, passage. You've heard this before. It starts with verse 13, chapter 5. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And salt is a preservative among many things. And it, uh, Christ is saying that you slow the decay of the world. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You can just transplant this back into the Israelites' life in Babylon. If you're not engaging, as salt must be engaging, then you're no good. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, right? And this is a, prof- is a very profound statement. Of course it is, it comes from God, but it's it's not that this is what I want you to become, but this is what you are, so live like that. And then he says this, a what? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is perhaps where Augustine gets his thought from, is that, Christ says to us and to them you are a city within a city. an Alternate city within the existing city. I was at a, I go to Caribou Coffee every Sunday morning and drink about three cups and eat a blueberry muffin and look over the sermon. In fact, I was there this morning and the lady who's giving me my coffee for over a year now. says, so what do you do here on Sunday mornings? So A, I'm kicking myself for never telling her. So before you tell me that. Uh, B, I say, well I'm a pastor down the street and I look over my sermon. Oh! So she starts to ask me all these questions and, um, and I told her I don't have time for her. I gotta go look at my sermon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have time for this. Serve sort of the city. Peace. Peace. Uh, so anyway, that's where I am every Sunday, and uh, uh, I have this, sort of the city sticker on my Bible, and it was open, and uh, this guy comes in every Sunday, and he sits there and reads his paper and writes things down, and I don't know. And I sit in the corner, and he gets up a couple weeks ago, and he starts walking toward my table, and I'm like, what's he doing? What's he, what's he doing? He's coming at me. There's only two of us in here, and he's coming at me. So I grab my hot coffee, I'm ready. And, um, he comes up to the table and he just looks at the sticker. He's kind of an odd guy and he says, Serve the city. And you know, I'm like, Uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> and protect yourself. Uh, he says, I see that sticker every week and I just want to know what it, what it was. And there's a website on it because we're tricky like that. And uh, he's looking at the website and he looks at me and this is what he says, or this is what he asked me. So, do you work for the city? That's a profound question. Yeah, I do. Every day. In some way, in some form, I work for the city. And of course I told him what I do. I didn't just leave it. Yes, here's my card if you need anything fixed, sewers, transportation issues, which I know we have. Give me a call. I told him what I do. And then that turned into, you don't have rock music, do you, in the church? I'm like, here we go. Um, But do you work for the city? Yep. That's what it is. Seek the peace and the prosperity. And you can read it this way of the place where you are. And Israel struggled with this. And in verse 11, the most famous riff in the chapter, God reminds them of his faithfulness, saying, I know the plans, I know what I'm doing, he says. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, which there's the word again, and not to harm you. He's saying to them, please don't be afraid of this hostile, diverse, fragmented city. But why don't you become a city within a city, a movement of God, the hands and feet of the loving God, wherever you live. Amen? That's what we do. I mean, we, our passion is to see God do great things in people's lives. Our aspiration is to see people connect and to love and to care for one another. But as a church who sits on this street in this town, we're here to seek the peace and to serve the city in whatever way that God leads us. Next week, we'll talk about world. Really cool next week. One of our missionaries will be here. She's leading worship, and she's fantastic at it uh, from Spain. And uh, don't miss next week as we talk about our partnership with what God is doing around the world. And then we're off July 4th for obvious reasons. Can I get a little whistle? So, uh, <laughs> but you're not totally off the hook. There's a thing called House that we're signing people up for. Uh, if you would like to get involved in one of the house churches that particular week, there's a bunch around town. I think there's nine uh, that we have in place. So stop by the house booth and sign up. you got to do that in the next two Sundays because we're not going to be here July 4th. And then we'll be back second week of July, and we're as normal. So that's it. I'm going to pray, so if you'll stand, and then we'll sing when we're finished. And don't leave because I'll come up and dismiss. Well, let me just say it this way because it's kind of awkward for me to run back up. If you have questions about anything you've heard today about uh, or just in general about Christ or God, the Bible, I'm always down here for, for that, for some discussion. And Jamie, who will be on the piano, uh, is down here on this side if you just want prayer. And every week people come for prayer. No one comes to see me. So uh, <laughs> somebody comes to see me. But uh, if you would like to be prayed for, Jamie will be right down front. And so I'm going to pray, we'll sing, and then uh, we're done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, this place that we can come and sing and learn and uh, hear from you and uh, thank you for um, the ways that you provided for us um, as a church here and our needs have always been met and so we just praise you for that. And, uh, God, in light of what we've talked about today, we ask for eyes to see what you see and to hear what you hear uh, in this city and in our neighborhoods and wherever it is that we're coming from, whether it's two minutes from here or we drive in and help serve and Um, and we're just a part of this community. God, give us the heartbeat for this city like you have. And God, for those in the room that just feel like exiles, like they're just here for a time, and that may be the case. They may be gone in a year or two years and be back where they want to be, but for now, God, give them the spirit of doing what you want done and using them that they become your hands and feet wherever they are for the time. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's sing.